How are we doing today? Good? Good. It is good to be here with you. Wow, um, what a beautiful scripture reader that we had this morning. Um, good to see my wife back up here singing. Come on, that's good. Love that. Um, she has been a great mom. Um, and uh, we, we actually got eight hours of sleep last night. I don't know how we, uh, how we pulled that off. So I guess the sermon better be good today, right? I mean, I'm, I've got some good sleep going on. Um, but uh, it's, it's been a, a joy to to be able to be loved on by our family. I think Holly's even taking care of Macy right now. So uh, thank you for doing that. She usually starts crying when I start preaching. So just, just a fair warning on, on that. But hey, I wanted before we jump into uh, the text today, um, I wanted just to kind of catch everybody up to what we have been, been through. Um, we, we have been studying in John's gospel um, in chapter 14, 15, and, and 16. And in it, we have seen that, that Jesus is preparing his disciples not only for his crucifixion and his resurrection, but primarily in these chapters, he is preparing his disciples for his, for his departure. He's going to be with the Father. And he wants them to know that they shouldn't be troubled. This is not a time for you to worry or doubt. There's actually a new season that we're stepping into, and this is good. And I want you to, to put your trust in me. I want you to hope in me. And for those that do, there are some promises that Jesus gives uh, within chapter 14 and 15 and 16 of John. And these promises are, are those things that produce hope in us, not an optimism, not just a, a wishful thinking, but hope because it's in a, a person. It's in a person who is alive. It's in Jesus. And because of him, our hope lives. And so I just want to go over just these promises that we've already seen in John 14 and 15. The first is that we saw in verses two and three that we get to dwell with God forever. I told you, there it is. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> one day she'll stay for the preaching. So um, one of the promises, though, is that, that Jesus is, even though I'm going, I'm going so that we can be together forever. I'm going so that we can dwell together also, in verse 12 in chapter 14, we see the promise that Jesus gives about greater works that are to come. Even though Jesus' ministry on earth is coming to an end, that doesn't mean his ministry on earth is coming to an end forever. It's actually going to be coming now through his church. There's a new season of greater works that they are stepping into. Also, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit. Really, throughout chapter 14, 15, and 16, we see this promise over and over again. And we'll dive into that promise a little bit more today. We see the promise in, in chapter 15, verse 5, that Jesus will produce fruit in us. And this isn't just like fruit that says that we're now more holy because we're already clean. We're already holy because of what Jesus has done for us. But this fruit is us enjoying God. This is us getting to experience him in such a way where we taste and see that he is good. And there is a, a, pro, a produce that is in us. As, as Jesus is promising us. Also, we see in verse two of chapter 15 that he has promised to prune us. It might hurt. Cutting usually does hurt, but that hurt is for your good. He's gonna have you walk through some seasons in life so that he can produce more fruit. So you can see that 
how sweet Jesus really is. We also see in verse 30, I already mentioned that we are already clean. That's a promise that we've been given. And then verse 11, chapter 15, we see the promise that he's given is that we get to experience not our joy, because our joy is incomplete, but when we, when we put our hope in Jesus, we get to experience his joy. We get to experience his love. That's what is flowing through us and is promised to us. So that's where we've been, and we're going to see some more promises today as we jump into the latter part of John chapter 15. Before we do, I want to tell you about Glenda. Glenda, who went off to school to be trained to be a good witch, right? She was trained to be a witch. You, know, you might know the story of Wicked. She is there with Elphaba, who we would know as the Wicked Witch of the West, right? And in this story, everybody loves Glenda. Like, everybody wants to be around her. You could say that she is popular, right? <laughs> Elphaba, on the other hand is misunderstood. Alphaba is not liked. Alphaba is even feared at times. But somehow, in some way, in a perfect Broadway world, Glinda and Alphaba, they become best friends. <laughs> they get to know each other, and Glinda has some advice for Alphaba. He wants to, she wants to help her out. She says, Elfie, now that we're friends, I've decided to make you my new project. Elfie then says, you really don't have to do that. <laughs> Glenda goes on, I know, that's what makes me so nice. Whenever I see someone less fortunate than I, and let's face it, who isn't less fortunate than I, my tender heart tends to start to bleed. And when someone needs a makeover, I simply have to take over. I know, I know exactly, Elphaba, I know what you need. And even in your case, though it's the toughest case that I've seen, don't worry, I'm determined to succeed. Follow my lead, and yes, indeed, you will be popular. Right? And then she goes on and continues to sing to Elfie. Beautiful moment, beautiful song, beautiful gesture. It's interesting, though, as we step into this text, that the first words that we see in Chapter 15, beginning then in verse 18, if the world hates you. This if isn't necessarily just a condition, maybe it will. This if is like when it happens. There will be some who actually do hate you. As Jesus goes on, he prepares them for the world hating them and even persecuting them. This is a promise that Jesus gives to his disciples that no matter what you do, no matter how winsome you might be, no matter how loving you might be, no matter how often you may bless, try to bless people, there is going to be some that still look at you as the wicked witch of the West. And so Jesus takes a moment to prepare his disciples on what that means for them. And in doing so, he prepares us, the church. What does it mean for us that, that there will be some? It's not a matter of just if, it's a matter of when. And so there will be some 
that don't like us. There'll be some that actually go beyond just not liking us. There'll be some that actually hate us. Where is their hope in that? Let's read this together, verse 18, and then also 23 and 24. If the world hates me, you hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. And then I want to skip down to verse 23 and 24. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has then no one else has done, then they would they would have they would not have sinned. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. There's just a, a formula that I want you to understand as we open up this text. I think it's helpful for us to, to think through this framework. I want you to see that the father has a son, and the son has his church. And what's said of the church is true because it's also said of the son. What's said of the son is true because it's also said of the father. There is a connection here that that we see a unique relationship in John's gospel between the father and the son, and we, the church, have been invited into that unique special relationship. When we talk about a relationship with Jesus, what we are saying is that you are getting to experience the relationship that Jesus has with the father. You're getting to be a part of it. And so the joy that you feel, the love that you feel, is the joy and the love that the father and the son have for each other. And we get to be a part of that. And so the father has the son and the son has the church. Jesus says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me. The world hates you, the church, because it hated me. And the world hates me because we saw verse 23 and 24, because it, it hates the father. It may not feel like a good promise, but it is a promise that gives us some hope. The world will hate us. Some of the world will hate us for sure, a little more vocally, maybe with a little more violence. But understand that if the world hates you, that you are in good company. You know, experiencing a relationship with God, we get to experience all the sweet things for sure, his joy, his love, his goodness. We get invited in to experience that. But at the same time, we also get to experience God's heart. We get invited into that. And in doing so, we get to also experience his pain. Those things that break God's heart begin to break ours. Have you ever felt God's pain? Have you ever felt those things that break his heart? The father has a son and the son has a church and you've been invited into it and you're gonna feel some of the world's hatred. But no, that doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. Though that means you're probably right, in some ways you might be right at the sweet spot of where God has called you. And you're experiencing some of the things that, that he has experienced. If the world hates you, know that you aren't necessarily doing it wrong. It may mean that you're doing it right. And the world hates you because it hated Jesus, and it hates Jesus because it hated the Father. But why? Why is there hatred in the first place? I want you to jump down to verse 19 with me. 
If you were of the world, <coughs> excuse me, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Read that again. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. There's something different about the church, and that's what frightens the world. Because if we are right, then the world has everything to lose. You know, we, we've done some different things around here when we have teams in and, and have used some of our OCC people as well. We call them blessing projects. And one of the projects we did yesterday as a church and with a team was that we served water bottles out into the community. We blessed people with water bottles, right, and an invitation to church. Now, some people, when they pass the table, they're, they're very thankful for it. They're, yeah, this is great. I'm, it's hot out. I appreciate the water. And some even ask more about the church, right? Some of them do. But for some, they just kind of walk right on by, don't they? They're, they're like, ah, uh, you're kind of in my way. Maybe they're a little bit perturbed. They just kind of walk around us. We're just kind of a nuisance to them. And so they just kind of walk away and maybe not even say anything to us. Those are the, typically the two reactions. Thank you for the water. Or, hey, I'm just going to walk on by. Those are usually the two reactions that we get. Every now and then, you get some that actually don't like us being there. And they say something about it. And they have something that they want to get off their chest and say to us and complain. And some of them even hate us. Every now and then, you get someone that does that. Why? Why is that the way that people are? This tells us in verse 19 that the world loves its own because the world loves people like itself. But when there's something different, like the church that has been chosen and set apart, that leads to a type of fear because if the church is right, then I've got everything to lose. This is frightening to me. I don't like the church because they're always talking about changing, me changing. And hate starts to come out. We see this in Jesus' ministry too, don't we? The people that actually do like him, the people that love him and want to be around him are those that have everything to gain. They're always the, the outcast. They're the leper that needs to be healed. They are the lame that, that needs to walk again. They are the blind that needs to see. Those are the people that want to be around Jesus. They like Jesus, and some even love Jesus. Those are the people that have everything to gain. They want to change, right? Their life is not what they want it to be, and so they want to change. They want to be different. They want to be set apart. So it leads to them liking Jesus, some of them even loving Jesus and becoming his disciples, his followers. But there are some in Jesus' ministry that don't want to change. They're often the most religious. Like, they're the ones that are in power. They're the ones that have the, the control. And when they see Jesus, they see him as more than just a nuisance. They see him as a threat. And their fear about Jesus, it turns into hate. Because they have everything to lose. 
This is the ministry that, that Jesus experienced. This is how he lived his life, where people loved him, some loved him, and some hated him. This is the life that we also, as the church, will live. Now listen, it doesn't mean that we are now entitled to be jerks. That's not what this is about. Oh, the world's gonna hate me anyway, so I'm just gonna go on and be hateful to the world. That's not what this is about. Now, there's gonna be some that just don't understand and feel threatened, and Jesus calls us to love, <laughs> to love those that would even be our enemies. Why? Because in the midst of it all, we find a sweet connection with God. Jesus walked through the same things that we walked through when we sat outside it on a table with water bottles. But he walked through them in a much more meaningful, severe way. These disciples as well. He talks about persecution here. This hatred that John is, John is mentioning isn't just like, just, just an emotional hate. It's a violent, want to get rid of hate. And Jesus is preparing his disciples. He says, this persecution is going to come. For 11 of these disciples, or 10 of them, they were going to be killed for their faith. It wasn't just hateful words. Some of them were going to be killed for their faith. And we still see that today in our world. Not so much around here, but on the other side of the globe. We do see that in our world where believers are killed for their faith, persecuted. When we experience hate, whether we're killed or persecuted or hear the, the violent hatred words towards us, know that there is this sweetness of communion with Christ. I went through the same thing. The world hates me, hates you because it hated me. And it hates me because it hated the Father. The world doesn't want to change. Doesn't want what we have and we're seen as a threat then to the world. But I have good news for you today. Hate doesn't win. Instead, the cross, it wins. Jesus says here in verse 25, I want you to read this with me. But this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. My Bible has that in bold because Jesus is referencing something that takes place in the book of Psalms. We read from it this morning. I got it backwards in Psalm 96. It's actually Psalm 69. And we read from the, the latter portion of this passage together where it is a call to praise. But before we get there, we see David writing this scripture, writing this poem. And he says that they've hated me without a cause. Now, David's writing about his own life. And I want you to see this with me. We'll, we'll jump over to Psalm 69, uh, verse 4. I want you to read this. Those who hate me without cause are more numerous than the hairs of my head. My deceitful enemies who would destroy me are powerful. Though I do not steal, I must repay. This is David writing about his own life. He feels like he, the king of Israel, is being hated without a cause, which isn't entirely true. Even though he was a man after God's own heart, even though he was the king of Israel, David was also an adulterer and a murderer. So there was many reasons beyond just those that someone may actually not like David and may actually hate him. But David here in this psalm is not just writing a psalm about himself. He doesn't necessarily maybe know it in this moment, but this psalm is a messianic psalm. 
And we talked about this when we worked through the study through Psalms, that Messianic Psalms are those unique prophecies about Jesus. In some ways, all Psalms are Messianic, right? All Psalms can be sung to Jesus or about Jesus. So in some ways, they're all Messianic. But there are some particular Psalms that are Messianic in such a way that they are prophecies about Jesus, and then he fulfills them. He fulfills them. Here in John 15, verse 25, we see Jesus referencing this psalm because in a couple chapters later, he is going to fulfill it. He says, they hated me for no reason. And I want us to turn over to John chapter 19, verse 4 through 8, and we'll see this psalm fulfilled. The Jewish leaders have arrested Jesus brought him before Pilate to be tried and hopefully crucified. That was their plan. They hated him. They wanted to get him out of the way because he was a threat to them and their lives. They would have to change if he is who he said he is. And so their hatred, it drove Jesus to this moment. And Pilate, the Roman leader, went outside again and said to them, look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I have what? I find no grounds in charging him. I don't find anything wrong here. There's nothing that I can charge him with. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, here is the man. And when the chief priest and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, crucify Crucify. And Pilate responded, well, Take him and crucify him yourself, since I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. This is a big bad Roman official. Fearful in this moment because this man, Jesus, is going to be sentenced to death for something that he never did. There's no reason that this man should die. And hatred led up to this moment, but understand this church. The reason that Jesus went to the cross was not hatred. I was out of love for you and for me. You see, Jesus, he, he willingly went to the cross. Hatred might have been all wrapped up in this leading to this moment, but Jesus could have easily turned it all over and walked away. Jesus willingly went to the cross because it's what his father had asked him to do. And in this moment, although there's all types of hatred towards Jesus, Love wins in the cross, in the cross of Christ. John says over and over again to be born again. You see, there's a problem with the world. If we were to go back and see this in John 15, and just go back for a moment in reading verse 18, if the world hates you, 
Understand that it hated me before it hated you. John's use of the, the word world here is corrupt humanity. Here's the truth, is that the way the Bible speaks about it is that every single one of us is a sinner. And because every single one of us is a sinner, we are all enemies of God. And because we are all enemies of God, our hearts have all been turned away from God. We have hated him. We have wanted to do our own lives and not go after him. But thanks be to God for the cross. Because through the cross, what happens is that you and I are are born again, and we go from being a people of hate for Jesus to being a people of love for Jesus. It's in the cross that we are changed. That we go from being people of hate to people of love for who Christ is. That's why Jesus spends really these last moments with his disciples talking about their love for him. You love me, so I want your love to increase for me. I want you to remain in me. I want you to have a relationship with me that grows even deeper as you see how sweet it is to taste of God. Because they have gone for, as a people of hate for Jesus, now they are people who love Jesus. And that is our story as well. For those of us that have put our hope in Jesus Christ, we've been born again. We've been changed. I want to mention one last thing. There's one last promise that I want you to see. And we, I referenced the idea that we would be talking about the Holy Spirit before we end. And I want you to see this in uh, verse 26. It says, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, I'm the type of person that if you uh, say something bad about me, I, I can tend to let it go unless it's too bad, and then my, my personal justice meter kind of kind of pings up a little bit. And I feel like sometimes there's moments where I try to defend myself, right? Now, if, so, if someone says something about a, a friend of mine, a brother or a sister in Christ of mine, my justice meter like ticks up a little bit more. <laughs> and I feel like, okay, I'm going to defend that person. You can't talk about my brother or sister that way. I start to feel that. If someone says something about the church, Ill about the church, hatred towards the church. My justice meter like really starts to go on because now you're, you're talking about Jesus' church. Come on now, like I'm gonna defend that, right? Like I start to get into that lane. Here in verse 26, we see the role of the Holy Spirit in a particular way. It's not that we don't say anything, but understand, we're not saying things in defending Jesus alone. We're given the Holy Spirit. We're going back to maybe a courtroom moment here for a second. Jesus has already said that they have hated me without cause. And now we see the Holy Spirit being sent to testify, to defend who Jesus is. Not only defend who Jesus is, but in defending who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit comes and defends the church. Because what's said of the Father is true of the Son and true of the Holy Spirit and true of the church. 
And the Holy Spirit is sent to give testimony, to defend the church, to defend us, to defend the world when it hates us. And you might feel the need to say something, and I don't ever want to take your voice away. But I want you to know there's a stronger voice than yours that comes beside us and gives testimony to who you are in Christ, to a world that doesn't quite understand, might be confused, might not like you, might even hate you. It's the promise that we have in the Holy Spirit. I hope that these promises are encouraging. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just optimism. It is a living hope because it is in Jesus. It is in God that we put our hope. I want to invite the band. They're going to come and they're going to play as we begin to close here. You may know the ending for Alphaba, the Wicked Witch of the West. Dorothy was involved, right? If you know the story of the Wizard of Oz, too, you know that she took a bucket of water and threw it on her, right? <laughs> and she, she melted. Or so we thought. Go see the show, Wicked. <laughs> it is true that Jesus was put on a cross. And he was killed. He died. There's no mistake about that. He died. He died for our sin and for our hate against God. He willingly died. But that is not the end of his story, is it? Three days later, he overcame the grave. He overcame our sin so that you and I can have a relationship and be restored to God. That's the good news of the gospel. That's how much God loves you. John said it best. God sent his only son. That if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you have everlasting life. I hope that is your story. And in response to what we've heard today, if, if for you, you've never responded to the gospel, I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus. Listen, he does ask you to change. But what he's asking you to change into is who he has created you to be. He wants to give you an experience with God that you were created for. I'm gonna be in the back by the welcome flag there with first-time visitors, also with those people that may want to come to faith in Christ. I want you to come. I want to speak with you. I want to pray with you. I'll be back there. Bobby, Holly will be back there as well. We would love just to spend some time with you this morning. Maybe for you, you, you are a believer. And Christ is your everything. What is our response today? I think simply to love God more. To love God more. our faith and our hope in him that no matter what we may face in this world that he is for us who then can be
Let's take a moment just to pray. I'm going to ask a couple questions just to help you process and listen to the Holy Spirit. Where have there been places where you have felt hatred from the world? Maybe you felt persecution at some level. Take a moment and just let Jesus speak to you because Jesus has actually felt that and more. Take a moment, let him just speak to you through the Holy Spirit in this moment to comfort you, to come alongside you. What does it look like for, for you in your life to, to love Jesus, to love him even more? What would he be saying to you right now? How does he want you to love him even more today? Jesus, we need you. There's no way around it, we need you. We just confess that we have just tried, we've tried to do things our own way. We have had sin in our heart. We've had hatred towards you in our heart. We've been scared of you and the things that you've been asking of us. We try to do things in our own way and they just haven't worked. So Father, I pray that you just move in this place, that you move in our hearts, that you would move in our lives, that we'd be people that are changed set apart by you who love you Father we thank you for the Holy Spirit that has come to testify about who you are and about who we are in you we don't need anything else other than, than your testimony so we thank you for that we thank you for speaking up for us we thank you for your validation your words they're what we hold on to today Thank you for Christ. We need you. Praise in Jesus' name.